This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. One of the more uncomfortable, I mean, it was an uncomfortable story to read this today. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, kind of funny when you read it, but you realize then you put yourself in that position. Not really all that much fun. One of the stranger and more uncomfortable stories today goes like this. In Indiana, there are these two women who are working in the same office every day. One of them, now these are according to court records, nothing's been proven, but this is the story as laid out. One of them arrives every day for work smelling a little ripe, shall we say, a little pungent, carrying a little whiff of the B.O., in fact, a lot of the whiff of the B.O., to the point where it is completely distracting and impossible for the other woman to do her job. She sits at the next desk, and apparently it is just horrible. So, what does she do? Well, first of all, she goes to the managers, so say the court documents, and complains that co-worker A reeks. Managers do nothing. Hmm. So, what does she do next? Well, this is where it gets kind of funny, but again, uh, not for everybody. When the manager refused to do anything, she then started hanging air fresheners all around the office <laughs> to try to ease what was going on for herself and the others. Well, she's quickly then summoned to the boss's office. This is now the non-smelly woman, the woman who's having the problem with the odor, smelling it. She is summoned to the boss's office and told she has created a hostile work environment. And after seven years at that particular place of employment, she is fired. She is now suing to get her job back or to get some sort of remuneration or something. Question is, who's the victim here? Who is really the victim here? Lior Samfiro, you hear him uh, every Sunday at noon here on 900 CHML as co-host of the Employment Hour. Uh, he is an expert in these kind of things. He joins me now. Lior, thanks for doing this tonight. Thanks, Scott. Uh, you handle office and business and workplace grievances all the time and deal with these things. Uh, you ever heard of one like this before? Well, you know, I I, uh, I kind of chuckled when you sent me a copy of that article earlier today because I have actually dealt with exactly this case uh, a few years back where uh, my, my client, who was uh, an employer, uh, faced a human rights complaint because they had they were, had a lady that smelled somewhat funky. Let's put it, that's a technical term there, Scott. <laughs> yes. And uh, a manager was, was tasked with speaking with this employee and saying, you know, maybe you should do something. There's a body shop store across the street. Maybe you should consider going there and checking out some other products. Well, once you know this employee turns around and files a human rights complaint against the company and this particular manager saying that somehow they discriminated against her. Now, that's an, uh, that's a bit of a strange argument to make because for you to have been discriminated against, you would have had to be discriminated against based on the prohibited ground, your, your race, your ethnicity, your disability. And there's no legal uh, really reason or there's no uh, you know, prohibited ground that would apply to you not smelling well, unless, of course, you don't smell well because of a medical condition, in which case the employer has to be more accommodating, the employer has to understand and, and perhaps uh, you know, be a bit more, more patient. Uh, but in a situation where an employee is, in fact, smelling badly to the extent that it impacts the workplace and impacts other employees, then not only does the employer uh, or should the employer do something, they're, they're obligated to do something about it because it impacts the other employees. So I do think that unless the the smell or the the body order is a result of a medical condition, which I guess it could be. Sure, doctor, it could be. Sure, it could be. Uh, then, then the employer is obligated to do something, and it's not required to tolerate uh, behavior 
uh, or no, or to tolerate someone's body order if it impacts the workplace. And, and the employer can say, well, no, that's not acceptable. Okay, Lior, let's, uh, first of all, you bring up the disability thing, which is really interesting. And I, and that's because in this particular case, the Americans with Disability Act is being cited, not because the woman who smelled has a disability. Because again, if you had some severe physical disability that let's say prevented you from being able to properly clean yourself, I guess, and you lived alone, that would be a different scenario. What's actually, as I understand it, being cited here is it's not that disability caused her body odor. They're arguing that the body odor is a disability and therefore you can't say anything about it because she is disabled because she has bad body odor. I I don't really follow the thinking, but man, does that ever, you throw the disability card in there when it doesn't seem like it really applies and now everyone's running for cover. Well, that's the only angle that that employee would have. Now, this is a, a, an American story, and in the U.S., employees do have far fewer rights than employees, let's say, here in Ontario. So in order for the employee that was let go to be able to do something, she has to show that her termination was somehow discriminatory or wrongful. So that's where she's citing the Americans with Disabilities Act. But as, as, as I understand it, that certainly would not apply here. The 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 by very its nature the uh, the smell is not a disability. <laughs> I don't it think anyone's going to. No. You can't get one of those parking stickers because you smell bad. <laughs> yeah, there'd be a lot of those parking stickers out there <laughs> if that was the case. But, but no, but, absolutely not. But Lior, if this was, and again, I, I don't think it really is. But if this was a disability, honestly, what else would then be able to qualify as a disability? You could almost make anything work to that end. Absolutely, and and that's certainly the laws here in Canada are very clear that that's not the case. In order for it to be a disability, it would have to be a, a recognized medical condition corroborated by a physician, by, by a doctor of medicine. Uh, so, no, there's very specific requirements, and it's not a matter of I believe that I have a disability. It would always have to be corroborated by a doctor. And in the U.S., it's the same, because otherwise, as you said, it's a slippery slope. Anyone can say it's a disability, anything could qualify as a disability, and the employer would be left saying, well, I can't do anything about it because they said the D word, and that's just not the way it works. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 6 to 8, only on 900 CHML. Chatting about a story in Indiana where a woman who apparently had terrible body odor forced another woman or seemingly forced a co-worker to take steps and that other co-worker who was not stinky got fired for it. Um, Lior, here's here's what I, here's the really part about this story I don't get. We've been told, many people, and I'm sure you've dealt with people as well, who've been told, you can't show up at your office now anymore wearing heavy perfume or anything else that would cause people around you to be affected by that odor. They either don't like the smell or allergies or whatever. How is this right. different? It isn't different. It isn't. And an employee is required to be mindful of, of how they, they, uh, they show up to work and the impact that that has on others. So, no, the fact that you can't smell badly to the extent that it impacts others is no different than you can't smell strongly from perfume or cologne uh, because it, it is going to impact others. So that is a, a reasonable expectation from employees. Now, that said, employees... Uh, should be reminded of those expectations and, and employees should have policies in terms of dress, appearance, and overall condition at the workplace. Certainly for those workplaces where uh, the employees may interact with members of the public, so you want to portray a certain image. But even otherwise, even if you're working on an assembly line, but you are still going to be interacting with coworkers, or with managers, with uh, I don't know, suppliers. 
So there are certainly obligations that an employer is able to impose on employees in terms of how the condition that they're in when they show up to work. But, Lior, what if an employee were to say, look, I don't believe in typical hygiene products. I don't use deodorant. I believe that it's putting lead or some sort of zinc or something into my system. And so I'll use natural stuff and it may or may not work. I mean, we know if you ever, and you or anyone else, if they ever read the book on Steve Jobs, who started, ran Apple, Steve Jobs apparently was notoriously stinky. No one could ever tell Steve Jobs that, of course, but he apparently reeked all the time. So if you have a a position, if you're an employee and says, listen, you can't force me to put on smelly stuff or to put on deodorant. This is how I live. What then? No, an employer actually can force an employee in that situation, again, to the extent that the employee's choices impact others in the, in the workplace in a negative way. Now, that said, there could be, I guess, hypothetically situation where maybe for, for I guess, religious reasons or even cultural reasons that are tied to religion, someone can't use or, or won't you know, use certain products. And again, that becomes a human rights issue potentially. But if I, Lior, made up the decision that I don't, I, I don't want to hurt the environment and these products hurt the environment, so I'm going to use natural-based products only, the law doesn't actually protect my ability to make these decisions if those decisions impact my coworkers, if it impacts my employer in a negative way. And the employer is able to say, if you're here in my workplace, on my property, getting paid by me, then no, you can't do that. You have to show up in a condition that's conducive to working, that doesn't impact others, and that doesn't impact the workplace in a negative way. Now, that is, I understand everything you're saying. I will say, though, that unless you're someone who loves, loves, loves conflict, I can't think of a more uncomfortable discussion a boss or a manager would have to have with an employee than to call them in and say, you know what? You kind of stink. Clean it up. That that would be a horrible thing. But I guess that's just part of if you're getting paid boss money, you got to do that. Well, that that is one way. But I agree completely. That would be very uncomfortable, and I, and I would not uh, be jealous of anyone that has to do <laughs> no. that. And another way to do it is to potentially make a more general statement rather than say uh, you, Diane, don't smell well. Is maybe send a reminder. You know, an email reminder to employees saying here's the expectations of all of us, just uh, by way of a friendly reminder hoping that whoever is the, the one not smelling well will get the message. Yeah, but, but this, but, well. sorry to interrupt, but the fact yeah. is this whole story comes from the fact that the other employee was hanging air fresheners around. So clearly the message was being sent, you don't smell well, and she apparently decided, I don't care, I'm going to continue on. So that it, it sounds like it was going to take a direct one-on-one conversation. Yeah. I agree. In that situation, I think you're absolutely right. It would have taken that conversation, and, and who knows how that conversation would have gone. But I, I do think that in some situations when someone maybe is just not aware or mindful of, of how they smell or the impact that it has on others, there could be more subtle ways to convey that message. But in other situations, potentially like that story in Indianapolis, yeah, the, it would have a more direct approach would have been required. And uh, and it, the reason probably why it never happened is for the reason you mentioned is that no one wanted to do it given how uncomfortable it would have been. Now, let's flip for just one second and, and side or talk about the person who was the woman who apparently had the funk. Because is it, if someone goes around your desk and starts hanging up air fresheners, is that creating a hostile work environment? I do think it does. You know, it, it certainly is, is an unprofessional way to deal with matters, and, and it's not up for to one employee to do that with respect to another employee. 
so yeah, I think it sends the wrong message. It, it makes it obvious that there's something wrong with this person. These things need to be handled in a far more subtle way. So I, I could absolutely see the employer in this case being very unhappy with that particular employee who took it upon herself to, to get things done and, and put these uh, uh, air fresheners all around the place. No, I don't think that's the proper way to handle it. It does seem like the employer probably dropped the ball itself by not wanting to deal with it, but that doesn't necessarily give the employee the right to, to take matters into their own hands. Uh, yes or no, because I only have 10 seconds. Are you entitled by law to a workplace free of anything that grosses you out? If your desk mate is constantly picking his nose, can you report that or you just have to live with some of these things? You know, it is difficult to say. It's a question of what would a reasonable person feel in the circumstances. If a reasonable person would say, you know, that's unacceptable, then that's something that you're allowed to deal with. If it's something that you individually feel uncomfortable, but most people would be fine with, then there's not much you could do at that point. Lior Sanfiro, you can hear him on the Employment Hour every Sunday at noon here on 900 CHML. Thanks for the time, sir. Thank you, Scott. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8, only on 900 CHML. Sitting in the office at the Spec in the Newsroom today at noon, roughly, I don't even know what time it was, Suddenly everyone is watching the TV because there on the screen is someone jumping around after having done pretty well on The Price is Right. There's that music. And she was from Hamilton. Who knew? And I'm thinking to myself, you know, I have seen enough of that show and I got a lot of questions about how that works. So I thought, who better than to bring on than Marcy Zonta, who was that contestant who just did really well representing the city of Hamilton, which is great because we've had some bad contestants from this city on different game shows. Uh, Marcy joins us now. Marcy, congratulations. That looked like a lot of fun. Oh, I had a wonderful time. I really, really did. It was so much fun. Thank you so much. Now, it was on TV today. When did you actually tape it? It was taped September 26th when we were having... um, in our stay in LA for a while. September. It's been on yeah. the it's wow, it's been in hold for a long time. It has been, yes. And has it been difficult to not tell everybody what happened? Oh, uh, I I told a lot of people as far as being on the show and how excited I was, but it, it was it was, you know. As hard, far as the result hard, though, you yeah. didn't tell everyone the result, so was it really hard to not tell people how you had done? I didn't tell everybody. There's a few I had to tell. <laughs> <laughs> now, had I you keep my mouth shut too much? <laughs> had you been a longtime watcher, or were you just down in California and said, "Oh, let's drop in on the Price is Right and see what happens"? I was a watcher when I was a child with my mom and dad. We used to sit down and watch the Price is Right when Bob Barker was on, mm-hmm. and I loved that show. And I, with us going to LA, I had to get on it, so I got tickets. Uh, two months I applied for priority tickets, and I got the tickets and for that date, and I knew we would be able to get it on the show, but I didn't know I was going to be right on the stage. So how did you, so every time we see a contestant, and they it used to be Johnny, I don't even know the guy's name now who does the come on down, but every time they yell the name, the person jumps up and always looks so shocked and so excited. Were you truly shocked, or did you know you were going to get called? Oh no, I was shocked. You don't know that you're going to get called at all. You don't. So no. legitimately, it is just a complete surprise when you hear your name. Oh, it was. Oh, for sure. It was a real big surprise. I was so happy, though. I was excited, yes. Do they do any kind of pre-screening, though? Because they don't want someone to come up on stage and just be dull or a dud. I mean, they must have done something to find out that you were going to be someone that can make good TV. 
Oh yes, they they had a pre-interview. There was, you know, they had uh, everybody in a line. It was like, uh, and twelve of us at a time went in front of a gentleman, and he would ask us questions. And there was a lady behind him writing down, and we were, had to ask. He was asking us questions, and how we reacted to the questions, and so that's how they picked their contestants. I'm assuming. So we're in that screening period. Were you? I don't know how to word this. Behaving like a crazy woman to try yes, and get attention? I was. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I had to. <laughs> and what does that mean? What were you doing when they were asking? Like, how do you make sure always, you get attention? I was always jumping up and down. I, I couldn't stand still. Even when he was asking other contest, other people questions, I was still jumping up and down, clapping <laughs> my hands and being all excited and all that. Yep. So you had basically downed about six Red Bull before you showed up just to have the uh, the energy. It felt that way, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> now, what about you were there, it was with your husband, correct? I was, with my husband, yes. Now, was he also jumping up and down, or was he saying, no, Marcy, you, you handle this, you take it, I'm just going to sit back and watch you? Well, he was part of the, the um, interview program as well, but he was more preserved. He, he really <laughs> didn't do too much there. <laughs> So now when they, when you go in though, when they're about to start taping the show, have you already had to sign all kinds of stuff that if you get called up or is that afterwards? Cause I'm sure there's got to be legal and waivers and everything else. That's all afterwards. If you end up winning prizes, if you, um, you do go after the whole show into a room and they talk to you, they explain everything to you, what generally is going to happen. They give you papers to sign and that yes, after. And you're sitting there. How long are you actually in the studio for? We were there for five hours. Oh, so it was more than one show. Oh, they taped two shows that day. And it takes five hours to tape two shows, because it only lasts an hour each one. That's right, yeah. But, but you're sitting, you're going through that interview. Like, you come in, you come in, you get your name tag, your number tag. They have to take your um, Social Security number and all that. And then they take a picture of you, um, you know, being silly. Of course, and they, so they took a picture of myself, my, Peter, and both of us, and then you're just sitting and waiting and waiting, and then you go into another area waiting after the interviewing, then you go into another area, and they show you on TV past uh, silly shows, how people reacted. It was it was funny some of the things that people did to to when they were called down. Yeah, I've I I've watched thinking. I've watched some of those ones on YouTube, and uh, I'll tell you the one that always stands out. And I don't know if I'm supposed to talk about this, but there's a very famous one of a woman who jumped up wearing a tube top years ago when Bob Barker was quite young. Oh yes, and her excitement got the better of her, and uh, suddenly Price is Right became an only adult version of the show. That um, yeah, I'm, I'm people have done some wild things. Oh yeah, one guy came down uh, like in a mosh. Uh, pack down to the stage that way. And I was thinking, oh, geez, after, after the whole thing was over, I thought, oh, maybe I should have done cartwheels down the aisle. I don't know, you know, because it won't necessarily be televised. But. Thing. You didn't know for sure because they didn't have to televise. The only difference with my show that I pretty well knew it was going to be televised is it was the 35th year for the game mm. Plinko. Oh, so, right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so w- had you planned out if your name gets called, had you thought about what you would do or was it just, uh, just do whatever? Just 
I, you know what? I didn't even think about it until afterwards. What I should have done was do cartwheels, but I'm glad <laughs> I didn't because, you know, I'm 62 years old. Can you imagine a 62-year-old going doing young cartwheels down the hall there? Oh, I don't know. I'll get to your game. We've got to take a break. I'll get to what your game was. You were moving pretty good. If, I mean, your age clearly didn't have any impact on this because you were flying around there, so the oh, cartwheels probably would have been just fine. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 6 to 8, only on 900 CHML. Continuing our conversation with Marsh, uh, with Marcy Zonta, who just today, if you were watching Prices Right this afternoon around noon, you would have seen her Hamilton woman who was there jumping around on the stage, uh, winning prizes, looking fantastic, at representing this city well. Because as I say, we've had some contestants on other game shows that haven't necessarily gone as well. Um, Marcy, by the way, before we get to how you reacted, how long, you said you were there for all for about five hours. How long were you sitting before they called your name? Oh, I, about a half hour. I was halfway through. Oh, not, not long to wait. That's good. Yeah. So yeah. when you hear your name then, because uh, you know it could come up and you know you want it to come up, but when they actually call your name, are you thrilled and excited or suddenly are you terrified that you actually have to do this? <laughs> oh, no, I was Thrilled and excited. I couldn't believe it. They also show your name on a card, too. My husband saw my name on the card. I didn't see that. I heard my name, and I so I jumped up before he even realized it was me. <laughs> <laughs> so you get up to the front. Now, was it the first or the second uh, prize guest that you got right to get up onto the stage? It was the second one. I lost out on the first one. Actually, and I didn't even, even know what it was. So, <laughs> I, how could you bet on you know, something you didn't even know what what it was? <laughs> that's true. That's true. So, But you were obviously pretty good at it. Right? Now, I, I hate to ask this. This sounds probably very uh, stereotypical and sexist, but are you the shopper in the family? No, actually, my husband is. Oh, well, then. Per- okay, so even better that you were able to get it. What was the thing that you bet or that you uh, guessed on that won? That one? It was a three-day stay in Santa Barbara. Okay, and that was, what did you, I can't remember, I, I apologize, but what did you actually guess was the value of that? What did I guess? Oh, 2100 I think it was. Yes, I was the lowest bid. Everybody went over. All right. And that's how I got it. So if you're excited to get up there to do that, what happens when you actually, they say you were the closest and you get to go up on the stage? <laughs> I just blacked out. I thought... I just was so excited. I ran right up and hugged Drew Carey (laughs) (laughs) and just kept jumping. (laughs) You know, it's probably the closest a Hamiltonian has come to him since a few weeks ago, because you may not not remember this. He is the owner of the soccer team that played against uh, TFC in the uh, championship in Toronto a few weeks ago, and he was in Toronto cheering against them. So this is the closest any Hamiltonian has been to him since then. Now, when you get up on the stage, is it easy... Because it's a studio, it's a TV studio. There's cameras, there's lights, there's everything around. Is it easy to f- just sort of black everything out and just play the game, or is it? Are you very aware that you are in a TV show? I totally blacked everything out, but being listening to what I had to do for that game to win that game, I did not see the audience. I didn't see my husband. I didn't see anybody yelling at me. All I saw was the cards that Drew was giving me, and I was putting them in order to make sure I got the numbers right. Now, for those who didn't see it, what you had was they gave you four items, and there were four price tags, and you had to put the appropriate price tag with the value of the item, and if you got all four correct, you ended up winning. You had two right the first time, right? The first shot at it? Right, right. You were racing against time. I had to get it all done within 45 seconds. And you got two two right the first time, switched two of them, 
and pulled the lever and it suddenly said four. Now, okay, so now you've got, had the chance to go up to the front. Now you've got the chance to go on the stage and now you've actually won the prize. Does it just get more and more tunnel vision almost? Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. And then you sit down and wait and then, then you go up to uh, spin the wheel. Where did you wait? Where do you wait in that pine? Backstage? Oh, in the front row. In the front row. Oh, okay. Yeah. You were you feeling pressure when you get up there? Because again, when I talked to Pete Diakowski, Pete Diakowski played for the Ticats. He now plays for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. He went on Jeopardy, and really smart guy. And said, all of a sudden, when those lights go on, and you suddenly realize that if you don't do well, people back home are going to see you and are maybe going to laugh at you a little bit. Now, he plays with a bunch of athletes who are going to mock him for sure. Did you have any recognition that if this doesn't go well, people back home are watching? No, no, my depressive race and, and Jeopardy are totally different. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I wouldn't go on Jeopardy, let's put it that way. I just went on Price is Right because that was my all-time favorite, and I just wanted to have fun. I didn't care really so much as to whether I was going to win anything. It was just the whole experience I wanted and, and, you got and that. I was able to have. Yes, exactly. Now yes, you I won? spin the wheel. That was my biggest thing I wanted to do. Is it as heavy as it looks? Oh, it is. It really is. <laughs> Believe me, it is. You won a washer and dryer and a foosball table and a computer and something else. I can't remember what else it was you won. There were four things, coach as well as the trip. Yeah, coach purses and a coach coat. How do you get those all home? That's right, you don't. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? They deliver them to your house? No, they don't. For one thing, you needed an American address. They will not deliver to Canada. Okay. So and did you have an American address? My uh, husband has um, uh, a cousin that lives in Cleveland, so if we really wanted the prizes, it wouldn't have been a problem. If you wanted the prizes, what did you do with them? We, I had to forfeit them. Because, really? Well, the American government charges 37% tax on all winnings. And so your prizes, just the ones that you, well, not the trip, but the other ones would have been about ten grand, if I recall, from the mm-hmm. from the amount. So you're talking now about, say, almost $4,000 you would have had to pay in taxes to bring those home. American, American funds. So 15000 Canadian. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But that <laughs> exactly. is, I mean, that's, we don't think about that, that there's actually a cost to win. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there was. <laughs> so you, So you don't have any of those prizes? No, I don't. Uh, there was, um, I have a monetary prize for the limo that was going to take me from California to Santa Barbara. So they gave me the monetary um, prize for that. And so uh, we got to go here. Unfortunately, I'm out of time. But how much did you actually then bring home? How much did you win? Uh, um, in cash? Sure. Cash was uh, almost 900 American. Well, it's not 10 I grand, had- but it's better than nothing. Exactly, minus the thirty percent. Minus, minus. Now we got to speak to them about that. That seems like an unfair way to give all those prizes away and then say, "Yeah, but you have to pay for them." Well, or it part keeps of them. The game going. Right? I guess. I guess. Yeah. Marcy Zonta. It is. Uh, it was fun to watch today. I appreciate you doing this, and I hope somehow they're gonna. I don't know if they ever do reruns or how we could ever find it for people who missed it. But it was a lot of fun to watch you today, and uh, congratulations on doing so well. Oh, thank you so much, and I had a great time, and I had a great time on your show. I appreciate that. Marcy Zonta on Price is Right today. Hamilton woman doing really, really well. Fun to watch. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8, only on 900 CHML.
There is a 23-year-old Mississauga guy who is now suing the city of Hamilton for $390,000 because he went to Albion Falls in December, uh, pardon me, in February of 2016. February, it's a cold month. There could be ice, there could be snow. But anyway, around midnight, he went to Albion Falls. Don't know if it was snow or ice, that's what the suggestion is, but slipped and fell into the falls suffering various injuries, fell, I think it was nine meters that I read. I think it was nine meters. Yeah, nine meters. And suffered a ruptured spleen, 30 broken bones, memory loss, a variety of other injuries. Look, it is sad for sure that anybody would suffer these kind of injuries. We don't revel in the fact that anybody has gone through the kind of thing that this particular young man went through. That's horrible. But I think a lot of people get to the point where they say, but wait a second, the fact that you went to Albion Falls at midnight in February when it's cold, when there could be ice, when there could be snow, and you fell, I'm not sure that's the fault of the city of Hamilton or of the taxpayers of the city of Hamilton who, if you win your lawsuit, are going to be on the hook to pay this amount of money. I'm not sure that I am responsible for that decision that you made any more than if you decided to close your eyes and run across the 403 and get hit by a transport truck. I am supposed to be responsible because somehow the city is supposed to do a better job of warning people that transport trucks could be hazardous to your health, I guess. I don't know. Uh, look, I so this lawsuit is being filed. We are now, as a city, going to presumably have to defend this. We're going to have to, our lawyers, the city's lawyers, all the rest, we're going to have to defend this. And it's going to, co- it's going to cost taxpayers money. That's what happens when the city gets sued. And I have serious, serious problems with the idea of a lawsuit like this. I really do. Because ultimately... You are, in my mind, in my world, in my book, you are responsible for your behavior. And while there are areas where cities should protect people, there are certain things I would think that reach the point of being obvious that are dangerous things to do. As I say, running across the highway would be one of those things. I don't think we need to have the city put up fences and warning signs all the time. But here we are. Ken Mann, here from CHML, works in the newsroom. You hear Ken on here all the time. Ken wrote a piece. It's up. Uh, it was written for the CHML website. It got posted on CHML's Facebook page. I found this kind of odd today. It got posted on CHML's Facebook page. It has been liked 14 times. You know how you hit the thumbs up on there? It's been liked 14 times. Two of the likes are by accounts that carry the name of the person who has filed the lawsuit. Kind of weird that you're following that closely where this story is being written and printed. I I find that odd. But here's my solution for this. Because, you know what? We do live in a society that allows you to file a lawsuit. Whether I think it's frivolous, or you think it's frivolous, or someone else thinks it's frivolous, or we all think it's real, we live in a society that, and it's a good thing in the big picture, that allows you the freedom to sue anybody for anything. Whether we think it's right or wrong or otherwise, we live in a society that allows that kind of freedom. So here's what I'm hoping. Here's what I'm hoping. 
See, because I think this is a silly lawsuit. Courts may differ with me. Courts may tell me, courts may side with him and say, no, he's entirely right. The city was negligent here. But I think it's silly. So here's what I'm hoping. I hope that down the road, a number of Hamiltonians who are tired of paying taxes for stupid stuff, including having to defend lawsuits like this, I am hoping that a number of Hamiltonians would countersue with a class action lawsuit to to, to recover our legal costs that are going to have to be paid by the city. You go ahead and sue the city for something like this, but understand that if it turns out that the courts rule that the city wasn't at fault here, we will actually be asking you to come back and pay for the legal that the city had to put up to cover this because those are taxpayer dollars. These are not private dollars. These are taxpayer dollars that are going to have to defend this. I would like to see some lawyer come forward, some good intentioned, well-meaning lawyer and offer pro bono services to look after a class action lawsuit back to say, I am tired of my tax dollars having to go to stuff like this. And if the courts rule that the city was not responsible or not liable for this kind of behavior, I would like to see my taxes be brought back, my taxes not be spent. And the person who brought this forward, if it turns out that he, in fact, that it was not the fault of the city, I'd like to see my taxes reimbursed to the city so I don't have to pay more taxes for this kind of thing. That's just, I would love to see that. I don't think I'm going to. I don't think I'm going to. And I look forward to seeing how this will play out in court. And someone just wrote in and say, please say the person's name on the radio. Mm, I don't think I want to. I think that if you really want to go and look it up, you can go and look it up. I'm not really interested in, uh, in doing there. I'm not interested in giving more attention to this. I just don't want my taxes wasted on stuff like this. Just saying. We pay enough taxes, and the city doesn't have any money, and we're already way behind in stuff. I don't want my taxes going to legal defenses like this. Let's go back and get those tax dollars back if this doesn't turn out the way this plaintiff thinks it should. Who's with me? Let me know. Radley at 900CHML.com. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8. Only on 900CHML. Big news from Ticat Land today with Zach Caleros being traded. Now, he was, keep in mind, he was the guy that took the Hamilton Tiger Cats to two Grey Cups. They didn't win. Came very close. There are some Ticat fans that are still a little sore about what happened in one of them. But Zach Caleros was the guy. Zach Caleros was the savior of this franchise. Remember, things were pretty bleak before Zach Caleros arrived. In town, and that was when he came from a, in a trade from Toronto. Things were really bad in Hamilton with the Tiger Cats, and suddenly Zach Caleros comes, and the team starts to rebuild. And Zach Caleros is the hero; he's the quarterback; he's the focus of the entire operation. Zach Caleros got traded today. He is gone. He is now off to Saskatchewan. He is now in Regina, reunited with his old offensive lineman Pete Dykowski, who is in Saskatchewan as well. They are now going to be playing for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, which means a couple things. One of them is that he is out of the division. He is gone, so the Ticats do not have to worry about him playing them week after week. He's not gone to Toronto. He's not going to Ottawa. He's not in Montreal that desperately needs a quarterback. Zach Caleros is gone, and they are only going to, the Ticats are only going to have to see him twice. But there is more to this story. There is more to this story, of course, because if Zach Caleros is out of the picture, 
no longer a member of the Ticats, his big contract, and he did have a big contract, if his big contract is now gone and moved off the books and he's no longer there as potentially the starter or a guy who is using up some of that salary cap space, well, you know what that means, don't you? You know what that is probably going to mean. At least a lot of people are going to believe this is the case. This can only mean Johnny Manziel is coming to town, right? This can only mean that Johnny Football is going to be showing up in town really soon. At least that would be the impression that a lot of people would have. We got Johnny Football's coming. If we don't really have a starter anymore, if we don't really have the guy who is who was Zach Caleros, well, it's got to be it's got to be Johnny Manziel. The Ticats have to do something to move some tickets, right? They have to do something to boost some interest. They have to find some way to get people engaged in this team. Well, maybe, maybe. You know that they still have. Well, he's a free agent, but there's stories, reports today that Jeremiah Masoli is about to resign with this team. And this is where things get very, very interesting. Because I don't quite understand how this is going to work. I really don't. I don't understand how this is going to work with the Ticats. Because if Jeremiah Masoli, who played, he was the starter after the eighth game of the season. He went 6-4 and four with the Ticats. Did a pretty good job. If Jeremiah Masoli resigns to come back here, I have a hard time believing, I have a hard time believing that he wants to come back here to be a backup. I just do. I I think that's an odd thing to think that a guy who had been the starter, has been a starter now in the CFL, is one of those nine starting jobs in the entire league, wants to return, even regardless of the money. I have a hard time believing that he wants to return and wants to now go back to being a guy standing on the sidelines, holding a clipboard, being a backup. At the same time, at the same time, there is no way that Johnny Manziel is coming to Hamilton to be a backup, is there? Well, we have caught up with our friend Bubba O'Neill. No entry music this week because it's been so busy with all the calls, Bubba, but welcome to the show. Hey, you know, it's been a busy day here in, uh, for local sports in our area, for sure. That's uh, that's unbelievable day. Okay, so here, here's the thing that I'm just putting out there. I have, I'm trying to figure out how this works because there's reports that Jeremiah Mazzoli is about to re-sign with the Ticats, but I have a hard time believing that he or any other guy who's been a starter is going to happily, willingly accept going back to being a backup. Nobody wants to do that. And the flip side, though, is I don't see any realistic way that Johnny Manziel comes to Hamilton if he's being told he's the backup and has to spend a year learning the game or two years learning the game. He is coming here to play. So how do you how do you work this if you're the Ticats? Well, I mean, I've been a proponent of this these feelings here for a very long time, and I think you know that. So I th- I'll detail the way I, I see this all working out and the way I've seen it for a long time. Um, first of all, Jeremiah Masoli, I think, is very, very happy to be a Hamilton Tiger Cat. So <clears throat> I think that plays very, very large in him probably staying here and being re-signed before he hits free agency in the middle of February. Um, even even if it likes, means he, being a backup, he perhaps? Likes, he has a good situation with June Jones. He will not be the backup. He will be the starting quarterback, and then from there the competition will be begin. And that, that's everywhere in this league. Uh, the CFL has also proven that you need to have two capable quarterbacks. So Masoli and Manziel, who's going to have to learn the league. There is no possible way, in my opinion at least, 
that Johnny Manziel, who has never played CFL football, the big wide field, the extra player, he needs to learn for a while. Now, you also say that, you know, and you and, and many other people, that why would Manziel come here to be a backup? Can you give me other any options? There are no options for him to play football. He has said publicly several times that he wants to play football and reignite his career and get back to the NFL. This is the only option that exists. Some are talking about the revival of the XFL. I mean, that's all a fairy tale in my opinion. This is where he, this is the next best place for him to play. He's already talked about, you know, last year probably not wanting to come on the team because he would have come and disrupt things in the middle of a season and wanted to be a good teammate because I think he knows this is the place where he's going to be. He's, uh, I believe there's more coaches to be hired, probably some that are familiar with Johnny Manziel to get him prepared. And I think if there's going to be a change, it would have to be Masoli struggling or an injury. See, I think the difficulty with that, and I, I, your position makes a lot of sense. I'm not going to argue the logic of your position. Your position is the purely logical, sensible one. However, June Jones, the coach of the Ticats, has already gone on record saying that Manziel would be the best player in the history of the CFL. I don't know how a coach who has made that statement then turns around and has a guy on the sideline for a year because he then looks a little ridiculous for saying that. I don't see June Jones bringing Manziel here to be the backup. I just really don't. Well, Manziel, I think Manziel has to be here for two years. So if he signs, he'll have to be here in Canada, whether it's the Ticats or anywhere else, or his rights are traded or whatever happens, he'll have to be here for two years. I just think that, uh, that and you're right, there's been a lot of boasting. I, I've said this to anyone that would listen. When Ken Austin, the VP of Football Operations, talked about the workout that they had with Johnny Manziel and then went on to talk about the tape that he has as for, in terms of his, his, you know, his abilities as a college player. I saw a glean in his eye that I hadn't seen all season long because for most of it they were 0-8 when he was the head coach. And uh, I believe that they think that this is a good, probably by the end of the season, a two-quarterback attack. Who knows if it could be, I mean, for those that remember, the old Joe Barnes and Condridge Holloway sort of thing, who knows how this is going to work out. But I will say this, Scott, you can never not have enough talent in the CFL in terms of having good, proven quarterbacks. And they've already got one, and I think they are going to definitely groom the other one. You know, again, your position is not illogical, I just look at what June Jones has done. I think he has done, I I think June Jones' mouth, quite honestly, has set Johnny Manziel up for failure. I really do. I think that saying he's going to be the best player in CFL history is only creating a a bar that is so high that anything less than being Doug Flutie the minute he arrives is going to make the guy look like a buffoon. And I think that's unfortunate because I don't think he's going to be Doug Flutie. In fact, I know I'm positive he's not going to be Doug Flutie or Warren Moon or Russ Jackson. He's not. You, As you say, you need time to learn this game. But June Jones has basically set the thing up so that Johnny Manziel can only fail unless he stays here for three or four years and has time to really learn the game. Well, I, 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 you know what, Scott? I'm going to say I got a lot of respect for John June Jones, and and I was pretty familiar with his work, his body of work before he came to Hamilton, and he has been successful everywhere he's gone. He has turned quarterbacks into 
good quarterbacks into outstanding quarterbacks. And we saw it before our very own eyes with Jeremiah Masoli. There was a time you, I, many other people would have never thought that Jeremiah Masoli would unseat Zach Caleros as a starting quarterback. I think we saw this season that Zach, that Jeremiah Masoli is well-suited for this league and has incredible abilities, and I think we're just touching on the beginning of, you know, of his career and what he can, he can ask to offer. So I think he sees something. I think he's a great evaluator of talent. And if you take Johnny Manziel of what you saw in you know, his, I mean, his Heisman Trophy winning year at Texas A&M, even the years he was up for the award but didn't win, he's an outstanding talent. And I think suits this league beautifully. Now, the obvious comparison is Doug Flutie because of his diminutive size and that kind of thing. Will he be as great as, I mean, come on, we're talking about the greatest quarterback of all time. So maybe June Jones is a little excited. But I have every belief. (laughs) I I have every belief that this guy could be something special in this league. Okay, here's the other issue. And right. we we've seen this before too, and I this this is not as much a an issue because if June Jones has the discipline within himself to do everything by the book, then it doesn't become a problem. However, you bring Johnny Manziel up here, and you say Jeremiah Mazzoli is our starter, while Johnny Manziel learns the Canadian game. You are going to have ESPN, Sports Illustrated, Fox. You're going to have every American outlet up here putting right. all kinds of pressure on the Ticats to play this guy. They don't want to come up here and stand on the sidelines week after week after week while he holds a clipboard. There, And the fans are going to be screaming for Johnny Manziel. It is going to be so difficult for this team not to play this guy that I just don't know if they are going to be able to not do it because the pressure well, to put no, him in is going to be God, immense. You're making an assumption there that the fans will scream for Johnny Manziel. They will. The fa- will they if yes. the Tiger Cats are 4-1? and one? They no, will. They will not. No, if the Tiger Cats are winning under the current situation of, under Jeremiah Masoli, will there be a curiosity? Absolutely. Will we get a little treat here and there if the team is winning? I'm sure they will. I'm sure they'll give this guy playing time. I also believe that very much like we saw with the Ricky Williams situation, and that's where I'm going to bet. That's where I'm going to make my comparison. When yes, I agree with you. The day training camp opens at McMaster. That little press room that they have, they're going to need to find another room. Because you're right, every American outlet from 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 Texas to, to to the big network stations in the United States will be here watching him. But I think the president has been set. He, there's no way he's going to be able to start. He just doesn't know the league enough. And I think as time goes on, these people that are up north following him, as we saw with Ricky Williams, eventually it will quell, it will quiet. And then only until he is named the starter for a particular game will those people reappear. Will they be all over the place for training camp? Absolutely. Perhaps the first couple training camp games, for sure. But I think once the season begins and Masoli either, if he continues to win, those people will disappear. The pressure will not be there. Bubba, you're going to be having to rent out your basement to American broadcasters who need a place to stay because there's going to be so many of them up here. Not, And here's the funny part. I don't think, do you tell me if I'm wrong here? You already have, but that's okay. You can tell me again. I don't think that they're coming up here to see Johnny Manziel succeed either. I think most of these American stations, including TMZ, which will be here, will be here hoping to see Johnny Manziel blow up. I, 
I, I, I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure there is going to be a proponent of that of, to see if, there, if there's a train wreck situation that happens up here. Um, and, and again, I'll compare to Ricky Williams because I find the situations very, very close. That yes, there was a belief that you know what Ricky Williams would be a big failure. Ricky Williams ended up being a pretty decent player, and then went on, went back to the NFL and had the best season of his career after when he went back. So I understand he was quite chill that year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was, a, he was a pretty, pretty mellow guy. He was pretty mellow by that you know point. I mean? I'm sure, under our current laws, that may happen by summertime. We might see a revival of Ricky Williams. Ricky Williams makes a Canada. comeback because Canada's where he's allowed to play. <laughs> you know, who can, you Ricky know Williams mean, sitting I mean, on the sideline enjoying one between you know between downs. Hey man, I got to chill out. You know, and 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 so yeah. I mean, this is going to be a zoo, and I, and here I agree with you. And you know, I think the team will also try to do as much of, uh, as they can to try and maintain the team atmosphere here. That you know, it's not about Johnny Manziel. We've uh-huh. already seen Brandon Banks hit the hit the Twitter machine, but you know, by saying all this talk about a guy that's not even here, and you know, what about number eight? And you know what? That's why I really believe the guy that they're probably going to sign in a couple of weeks in Jeremiah Masoli is the perfect individual, low-key, team-oriented guy, understands the business, gets it, Uh, not a big rah-rah guy, that if Johnny Manziel comes here, he'll be able to learn under him and not be, you know, pull a Brett Favre and say, I mean, I'm not going to teach Aaron Rodgers, you know, how to be a starter. I mean, I think he's the perfect individual to, to, you know, to lead this team. And like I said, if he continues to win like we saw this last past season, well, I think Manziel will, will continue to learn and watch, and I think there will not be the pressure for him to start unless this team starts to nosedive. The one thing that will be nice and easy is that apparently all Ticat quarterbacks from now on will have the initials JM, so we can keep track of them that way. <laughs> if you Absolutely. want to play quarterback for the Ticats, your initials must be JM or we're not even going to scout you. Well, you know, I mean, and obviously the end of that was today, and, you know, I, I guess that's really, and you're, like, like, we all kind of recognize that, you know, that's the... the the move that had to be made three was definitely going to be a crowd here with Caleros. Well, and his and, salary uh, was and, big. You couldn't fit it all know, in. Absolutely. And I think in order to get guys like Masoli and Brandon Banks and a number of guys on defense that are all coming up to free agency, I think the Tiger Cats have at least 20 guys that, uh, that uh, will be free agents as of the middle of February. So in order to free up some funds, I mean, you just had to. And plus we're hearing a reported story from some of the most uh, you know top CFL insiders that, that um, Caleros was due a, I believe, a yes, two hundred thousand dollar bonus. Dollar bonus. I mean, which you know, there's just no possible way that a guy that you're not going to have around town that you're going to be keeping. So, you know, at, at the end of the day, a high level second round draft pick, you know, a tenth overall, is is probably a good thing for the Tiger Cats, and it'll be funny because Zach gets an opportunity to to revive his career, but he's also in a situation in Saskatchewan where there's going to be lots of competition. Well, you there know, is. We talk about the, we talk about the quarterbacking situation here. You've got uh, uh, you've got four quarterbacks there, including Kevin Glenn, Vernon Adams, and uh, Bridges, Bridge, uh, and and, and uh, Brandon Bridge, uh, who just signed a contract himself to, to to be with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. So, boy, I mean, uh, from a league that you know we're struggling, we're trying to find quarterbacks in this league to get you know to, to you know take over the likes of Calvillo and and Ray and stuff like that. All of a sudden, there's a whole bunch of them now. Uh, 
a lot of people today, we only have a minute or so left, a lot of people today made the comment, though, uh, they would put some money on Zach Caleros as an early favorite for MOP in the CFL this year. And I don't know if I'm going that far, but I could very easily see him making having a huge, huge comeback year with a decent offensive line and a chance to play the way he plays. Oh, yeah, and of course, and he'll be playing with a chip not on run, Yeah, and I not mean, running for yeah, his I mean, life all the time. Yeah, I mean, the guy's going to want to prove himself. I mean, and, and Zach's a competitor, and I think that's one of the beauties, beautiful things about him. And, and I would expect him, I, in fact, I will use the word, I expect him to have an excellent career in the CFL. He's only 29 years old. But I think under the current system that the June Jones runs and the situation in the Hamilton Tiger Cats going forward, I think the right decision was made for all parties involved. Zach gets a new chance to prove himself, uh, and the Tiger Cats can go on this merry wild run that you know that includes two quarterbacks. I will make one final suggestion if they do sign Johnny Manziel, and that is that the Ticats lobby the city to have Hess Village closed at all times except during games. <laughs> do not allow the- <laughs> Johnny Manziel near Hess Village at any time that things are happening. Well, look. I mean, I, do I believe the guy's reformed? If you want, if I can go as far, maybe not, maybe rehabbed or whatever the word is. I think he is. I think he's interested in playing. I think he realizes he's a talented individual. And I maybe someone got in his ear and said, "Kid, you're blowing it. You're a football player, and get out there." And that's why he's coming to to, to Hamilton. I mean, you, have you imagined this? If you said five years ago, "Hey, by the way, Johnny Manziel in five years is going to be a Tiger Cat," we would have all laughed the house down. But it's actually going to happen, in my opinion, and I think the guy wants to prove himself, You know, just like Zach Caleros. He's got a chip on his shoulder. He wants to prove himself. He'll be surrounded by good people and good coaches. And, yeah, is the guy probably going to go out every once in a while? Maybe Hess Village, maybe wherever? Yeah, and we've got to be ready for that because, I mean, the guy's got to have a life. The guy's going to live. Not at Hess Village. <laughs> <laughs> Not Johnny Manziel. No, no, you Johnny know. Manziel better be hanging out somewhere at the uh, the Catholic diocese well, in his know, off times. I, I don't, I don't think when he's driving around in his Rolls Royce that we're going to be having <laughs> much of that. But you know, I, the, I hate at the very least. I mean, I think we can agree on this. This is fun for the Tiger Cats and real fun for the Canadian Oh, it'll get them. we got to go. It'll get them tons and tons of attention. They hope for the right reasons. That's the risk you run here. You hope it's for the right reasons, mm-hmm. uh, but they will get lots of attention. There's no question about that. I expect entire CHCH, CHCH is going to clear their entire 6 o'clock newscast for a one-hour Bubba Manziel special one of these days. The day <laughs> he signs, good- just send the rest of the crew home. Just I'm have you do lie. it. I'm not going to lie, Scott. I'm looking forward and ho- really hope I can have a sit down because I'd like to pick that guy's brain. Yeah, Taz can schedule a day off the day that he signs. She doesn't have to be at the desk. You can just take over. Yeah, Taz can go home, Phil. We'll keep Phil around for a half an hour. Bubba O'Neill, you can see him tonight at 11 on CHCH. Sir, thank you for your time. As uh, always. always. a pleasure. And yeah, we did, next time we'll have some good entry music again if we get you on time because we missed out today. But uh, we will be sure to bring you in with some funky, excellent music next time. Well, well Blade, on our last uh, thing, you guys were really stepping it up. You're getting close, so it's a good thing. We will try again next time. See you, Bubba. The Scott Radley Show. The Scott Radley Show. Weeknights from 6 to 8 on 900 CHML.